Elwood City Limits listeners. This is Will, and welcome to another episode of the Episodic Arthur Podcast. Great to have you with us once again. So, I'm going to be taking you through a little bit of the old housekeeping before we get into the next episode of ECL Proper. So yeah, it's going to be a little bit different this week, as you could probably tell, and I'm very excited. Now, I don't want to beat around the bush here because, of course, the surprise, such as it is, is uh, very plainly in the title of this episode. And that surprise, I'm using quotation marks here, is that we have another special guest with us this week, one that I've been wanting to get on the show for a very, very long time. He is an avid fan of Arthur, more than a fan, I'd say. He's a resource. He's been a great Arthur resource. He is one of the many great ECL patrons, and I can't wait to talk to him about Arthur, about this episode, and more. Uh, It's Peeps. So I'm really jazzed to be doing this. Finally, we have an opportunity to make this happen. And, of course, we miss Lucas, and he will be back sooner than you know it. But uh, in the meantime, I thought that we could do something a little bit differently because there's a chance that you may be hearing this a week early. And that is if you, one, if you are one of our lovely patrons at patreon.com slash Limits. We're trying a little bit something different as the uh, schedule gets a little bit disrupted. I figured now's a now's a time to try something out that we haven't really done before. I think we've done this before with um, season recap episodes, but it's very rare that we put out a full episode of Elwood City Limits a week early uh, for patrons. So you may be hearing this on the week of, I'm just consulting the date, uh, oh, on Friday the 13th, Ooh, uh, potentially, potentially unlucky, I'm knocking on wood, or you could be hearing this at the typical ECL release time, which is Friday the 20th. And there's even more cool Patreon stuff to come. It's probably even being released with this episode. So no matter how you're listening to this, welcome to the new episode. Now, we're going to get into uh, talking about it all, but of course, a couple things up front that we always like to do. One of them, of course, being emails, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We got a couple of very good ones. Um, So our first one comes from our newest patron, Katie P. To write to Katie is writing to share a story and ask a question. When I was younger watching Arthur, I had noticed when Arthur's voice changed, but I didn't know that he was voiced by children. I had always assumed that cartoons exclusively used adults to voice characters, since adults are easier to direct than children and have the talent to produce childlike voices. With that in mind, I was concerned about why Arthur's voice actor changed so much. I thought that the voice actors didn't like working on Arthur and kept quitting. It's a relief to know now that the reason that Arthur has changed voices so many times is because of puberty. There's been a lot of discussions about what the Arthur characters will do in the future. Here's a question about their past. What do you think Grandma Thora did when she was younger? I'd like to think of her as owning her own business, though I'm not sure what type. I'm curious as to what you think. Always love these kind of perspective things, especially we've been looking towards the future so much with uh, uh, All Grown Up, The End of Arthur, and all that sort of thing. So Grandma Thora, we've seen her as a little kid DW's age uh, in those black and white uh, sepia tone segments, but... In between becoming Grandma Thora and growing up, I'd like to think that 
Um, I wonder if the timing is right for her to have been one of the people, one of the women working back home during World War II. Uh, and I imagine that she probably worked her way up. She was a hard worker, maybe in a factory or something like that. I'd also like to think that she went somewhere to get her education. She seems, at times, to be a bit of a worldly person. Not all the time, but sometimes she feels like there's uh, experiences and education to her knowledge that uh, maybe we haven't seen everything about. I just feel like she's um, maybe not well-traveled, but cultured, at least. Maybe, And maybe she went to just another different state for education or maybe work experiences. Now, a lot of this is a little bit mysterious because we don't know a lot about, or at least in Arthur season 14, let's say, we don't know a lot about Grandpa Thora, such as he is. You know, don't know when they would have met. We don't know really anything about who he is or when he might have passed away. So that's obviously going to inform her um, her experiences a little bit. And given that she's... And we know that Dave Reed... I mean, I think he's an only child. I've, I'm sorry. I know that Arthur has aunts and uncles but I'm struggling to remember which ones are um, Dave's brothers and sisters and which are Jane's brothers and sisters. So maybe something to ask Peebs, actually. Maybe I'll bring that up. If, he, if, he has, if there's any kind of evidence or theory about what Grandma Thora was up to. But great question. I recently joined your Patreon, have been really enjoying the For the Kids podcast, a wonderful stress reliever. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate it, Katie. And thank you again for everything that you do, says Katie. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We got one more email. Uh, this one is uh, from Eric from New Jersey. It's funny how you guys say Arthur seems to parallel your life or real life events. At the same time, you reviewed Philosophy, which is our previous Elwood City Limits episode with Jason Schwimmer. I've been on a graphic novel kick. I've been reading Watchmen and the Five Nights at Freddy's graphic novels. Also, to add to your Arthur last name origin theory, not sure if this has ever been said, but Arthur sounds like author. So his name is basically Arthur Reed. By Jove, he's right. <laughs> it was it's right in front of me, man. How did I miss that? Oh. What? Author, oh, man, I'm, I'm stunned, I'm stunned, that's, that had to have been part of the considerations, I, uh, wow, author read, that makes so much sense, man, okay, I'm gonna be thinking about that for the rest of the day, and I hope that you will be too, I, I can't be the only one who just had their hair blown back a little bit by this. Thank you, <laughs> Eric. Uh, Eric has two more questions. How does Neil Gaiman fall on the authorized guest star scale? Is he an Art Garfunkel or Matt Damon? There is a set. There is a separate uh, question for Lucas, which we will get back to on the next episode involving Lucas. It's a good one. Um, so, as far as authorized guest stars, you know something. It's very much like it's closer to Matt Damon in the sense of just like can't really tell what kind of an animal he is. He kind of the way like he has white fur and he kind of looks like a mouse a little bit. But again, it's just like, eh. but I think it says something that I didn't even consider that. Yeah, he's got like the pointy triangle ears, so he could be a mouse. So it's a little bit 
more plausible. Although I guess if you as a mouse, he'd have the Ratburn snout. So, oh, uh, not sure exactly what animal they could be going for. Um, maybe somewhere in between. So it's a little bit like, huh, what were they going for here? But I didn't notice it in the episode. I didn't even think about that. So uh, I think there's something to at least be said for that. Thanks a lot, Eric. Uh, some good questions and salient points uh, raised in there. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com if you want to send us an email about any little thing related to Arthur or anything that we talk about. You can also get in touch with us on our various social medias as well. Um, one last couple things about Patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits, of course, where I want to read off a few of our names here. But I also wanted to note that for patrons... You know, it's going to, our, our, like I said, our schedule's in a little bit of flux, so things are getting pushed back, like our new episode of For the Kids, PBS Kids Podcast. So I felt it was only fair that we push back the poll that's going on right now for for the kids. Right now, it is a very heated contest between Super Y and Adventures from the Book of Virtues. So patrons, if you haven't voted in that yet, I encourage you to find the post on Patreon or look in the Discord. I put the link in there as well in the ECL channel. Uh, Go to the link, cast your vote. You now have until Sunday, the end of day, on Sunday, May 22nd, to vote in that poll. I extended it by a good two weeks, or week and a half or so so probably a week at this point (laughs) so please uh vote in that if you haven't i'm really interested to see this like i didn't think this would be this close i almost thought this would be a blowout in terms of interest that we've had expressed but please keep voting like make this as close as we can i love it when it's you know neck and neck so check that out at patreon go and you can find the uh, link to the poll there And, of course, we want to say thank you to some of those lovely patrons, such as, well, our newest one, KDP. We also have David Morales and Uriel Underwood. We have Jeffrey Norris and Richard Mortimer, proper names. We have Zara and Sarah. We have Anthony Williams and RG. We have Gabby S. and Vinny Cataldo. We have Vanessa and Bob Yee. And then we have other great names like Allison Archambault. We have Michelle Sprzynski. We have Kat. We have William, Shayna Bennett, Macy Ball, Christine Wong, and Light Relentless. Thank you so much, everybody. If it's been a while since you've heard your name on the show, uh, let me know in private on Discord or on Patreon. So we're going to get into the Arthur episode from here. Our special guest this time out is Peebs, who is one of those lovely ECL patrons. But in his own right, he has a lot to say about Arthur. I'm interested to find out, you know, if you don't follow him on Twitter or social media, uh, you're missing a trick, first of all. You're missing out on a lot of not just Arthur. He has a lot of PBS knowledge, PBS kids knowledge, I should say. So let's go to the episode right now. Me and Peebs talking about Tales of Grotesquely Grim Bunny and Pet Projects. All right, it's time to get down to another episode of Elwood City Limits with a very special guest this time around. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I've been wanting to talk to this person for quite some time in some context, one or the other, and it just so happens that our schedules align. And... What better way to have them on the show than to actually talk about the show that has brought us together today, that being Arthur. So please welcome to the show, it's Peebs. Hey, Peebs. Hello, Will. 
I am very happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Um, you are definitely somebody who came to my attention um, after we started doing Elwood City Limits. I mean, I've been I've been an Arthur fan for a very long time, but it took me a while to figure out that there was a like an Arthur following online. It's, you know, eventually I found out, you know, there's the Arthur Reddit. There are people, of course, on Twitter and Instagram, whatnot, who have Arthur, you know, the Arthur meme accounts and all that kind of stuff. But there are definitely a few key players, I would say, and we bring them up a couple of times, myself and Lucas, as the people we think of when we think of the online Arthur community. And you are definitely one of those people. You're one of the first people that springs to mind when I think of the people who are really keeping the fires lit for Arthur. Your Twitter especially, but uh, your social media presence has been really helpful to us in finding out the latest information about Arthur, even stuff that we had no idea about. I believe you were, I think you were at least one of the first places if not the place where I found out about the end, the official end of Arthur, the episodes in the final season, like you're a, you're a treasure trove of information about Arthur and PBS kids. Yes. Um, I, like I just mentioned to you before the started recording, um, I can't claim to be a true expert, but Mm. I have been called expert, (laughs) um, by many people, um, in, the world of PBS, um, Arthur, um, in that realm. So, um, yeah. Uh, I know it's it's a little weird to self apply that that term. So yes. I, I I know it's a little a little strange, but it's safe to say that you have you have your ways. And I and I I don't we don't have to get into the exact you know hows and whys of like you know the secret sauce yes exactly yes. but like i i want you to have your secrets and i think that it's you're almost more powerful that way but for those who may not be aware of course you are very active on social media you're a big arthur fan you're a big fan of pbs kids um so tell i want i want to t- talk to you a little bit about that so how, when did you first start watching arthur what was your first experience with watching arthur well, I was born in 94, so Arthur started when I was two. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been watching it pretty much since since then. Um, I really don't remember a time where I wasn't watching Arthur. Um, I distinctly remember um, going throughout uh, elementary school and always saying Arthur was my favorite show. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, you know, as you grow older, you kind of fall away from, you know, kid stuff. Um, yeah. Um, by middle school, high school especially, I really kind of drifted farther away from watching Arthur, although I did still kind of keep up with it, um, especially when I found out, like, oh, there's a new season coming out. Okay, I guess I'll check it out, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but eventually back in college, um, some something ignited a spark in me again, and I really got really back into the passion of Arthur mm. um, that I once had before. Um, and of course, it's kind of different being a college student versus actually watching it like as an eight-year-old. But yes. <laughs> um, I think that's just the natural way of a lot, how a lot of us um, come to enjoy the show. So, and and I wanted to spin off from that. You, I mean, I think one of your identities online, or perhaps the one that I've seen get the most traction, is as something of. Uh, 
an information, like an information, like a knowledge, a knowledgeable person about art, the inner workings of Arthur and PBS Kids. And when I say inner workings, of course, I, you know, I, I don't know if you have any employment history with PBS or anything. You were telling me that you're not officially affiliated with PBS. We want to make that very clear. But you have you have a deep knowledge of the show. You have a deep knowledge of just season after season, from characters to locations to setups. To the point of like, you know, I, you know, Lucas and I, we do the Arthur podcast. That doesn't mean we know everything about Arthur. We don't commit everything to memory, but you have a really long memory for that. You have a good memory for dates, it seems. You know, you can remember what what date that certain Arthur events occurred on. You keep up to date with, um, with schedules in terms of, uh, you know, when Arthur was going off the air, you found out about the episode titles of the final season you had you had a bit more information about that than Lucas or I or almost anybody else that I knew so you had you know you were with Arthur from day one so so you said and it kind of continued into your adult life as it did for me as well but what is it about the um kind of keeping that knowledge and having that uh, social media presence based around Arthur facts and knowledge and trivia. Um, how did that start? And I guess I'm just really, I'm really curious to find out how you kind of keep that going and what, what do you, what do you kind of get out of it? It's an interesting question. Um, I really don't know like what that spark was. I think it's just, like Arthur's just a, just such a great show, and mm-hmm. it's high quality. Um, the writing is just really good, and that really drew me in for whatever reason. Um, as far as like the social media aspect of things, um, a lot of my social media history goes back to my YouTube channel, which is pretty much based in um, uploading like old promos and bumpers and things like that from yeah, PBS. Yeah. Um, so I recently hit 100,000 uh, subscribers, I think, last Whoa. year. Um, yeah, I was never expecting that. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, just because of copyright, I try to stay away from like uploading actual Arthur stuff on my channel. Right. But that's why I got a lot more active on Twitter, which is a little more lenient on that kind of thing Yeah. Um, with what you can post. Um, but yeah, I... Somehow, again, I really don't know how a lot of this happened. It just kind of all came about naturally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I've always kind of been interested in the PBS scheduling, how they, um, you know, pick what episode to air. Um, and eventually that ended up with me kind of figuring out, I really don't know how, but I figured out um, the initial air date of the first episode on PBS Um probably as recent as five years ago, maybe was still listed like on Google, Wikipedia, everywhere you looked online as September 96, which is not correct. It was October 96. Mm. So after I kind of discovered that, um, I really started digging into some of the old uh, PBS archive schedules online, TV guides, things like that. Right. And, I ended up like cataloging um, what days each episode aired on 
all the way back to 96. Wow. So I have like a complete calendar of, you know, everything that aired on PBS, which is kind of crazy, but, and it was a very long process, but I'm glad I did it because, um, it really helps out on the wiki, first of all. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of just bad, like air dates on there. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course I'm on the wiki and I'm a frequent editor there. Um, thank goodness thank goodness we look yes. and, and the the arthur the arthur wiki is huge as well like that's a huge help in terms of just l- researching for the show and for just looking up like any piece of information so again shout out to the arthur wiki even though we're not on there yet uh we still appreciate them as an arthur resource like a big reason i wanted to ask about that is because well this podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for you know interest finding uh, I guess you could say maybe a flashpoint and then continuing on into its own creative project. And whenever we can, Lucas and I really like to give props to the people like yourself who are doing the work to archive this stuff. This, it's a big con- it's a big conversation in a lot of fields like video games. Like I'm, I know video game archiving and, you know, making sure that information about games and games themselves are available to everybody so that we can combat the spread of misinformation. And even though it's as simple as, well, Arthur didn't start in September 96, it started in October 96. I mean, that's facts. And if you let misinformation spiral, then you get people who are getting completely incorrect information about something that you and I were alive for. So, you know, I think it's the, I think it's the older you get, the more that you treasure the, the people who do the actual groundwork and the actual groundwork of fact finding and keeping misinformation um, mm-hmm. as low as possible. So, again, I I would like to thank not only Lucas and I, but the people listening to this podcast appreciate the efforts of yourself and people like you, active in the Arthur communities and in all kinds of other animation communities, television, movies, video games, whatever. Like we're all trying to make sure that everything is represented as factually as possible. And that is important because a lot of people made this show and it's important that they'd be remembered correctly. So I thought it only natural to have you on here. And, you know, there's a couple of instances where I might actually be able to get your um, expertise. Like I said, uh, Lucas and I, we don't have the best memory for some of this stuff. So I was watching the episodes we're talking about today. I'm just like, uh, did they talk about that before? I also have to mention, so I apologize if I kind of might be springing this on you a little bit, but it's I got a couple of notes via emails that I answered in the previous segment. I wanted to see if you had any more information on this. So first of all, we got an email from Eric in New Jersey who pointed out the fact that the name Arthur Reed, the name Arthur sounds like the word author. And I wondered if you could remember if there was a particular reason why Mark Brown chose the name Arthur. Was there a tie within his family? I know that a lot of Arthur characters have ties to, like, his family. But do you remember ever reading anything about that? I think from some of the interviews I've seen, it was really just the fact that it starts with the letter A. I don't think it really is supposed to mirror the word author at all. I think it was just because, like, he originally picked the animal aardvark because it was, like, the first letter 
in the dictionary, the first animal in the dictionary. And then Arthur just kind of came from Aardvark, maybe. Okay. Um, See, that paying, would be my guess. You're paying, you're paying off already. I think that's a very educated <laughs> guess. It's just like I saw that and I was like, whoa, wait a second. I got to get the authorities on this one. Um, the other question I had is from another email that we answered this week. This is more of a perspective question, but it also has to do with um, I think you have more knowledge of parts of the show that we haven't gotten to yet. So uh, Katie had a question about what Grandma Thora did when she was younger. Now, I guess I wanted to ask one from where we are season 14. I don't know. Do we ever see Grandma Thora older than DW but younger than Grandma in the show? I I don't think we do. I think like there's that one season three episode where they go back like a f- whole flashback to her like yeah. like you said DW age days, um, but I think that's it. Okay. Um, we don't see like teenage Thora or anything. Um, and I guess that I guess that might answer the second part of that question is do we ever see who Grandma Thora was married to or do we have any information about who she was married to? I don't think so. I think mm. we see a picture of like. Grandpa Dave on her wall, which seems really weird. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think we ever see like her spouse, unfortunately. All right. Well, I well I trust you, and I I'm it, it didn't feel like there was any you know pertinent info that I was missing, but I wanted to make sure to run that by you. So uh, yeah. I might do that a couple of more times with stuff that we encounter in this episode. But we're that's what we're here to do. We're talking we're here to talk about the latest episode of season 14 that we're covering here on ECL. We're starting with the tales of grotesquely grim bunny. And the cold open is all about Arthur flashing back to the first time he got his first ever comic book from Meteor Comics, which I almost had to ask you about. But then thankfully, they put his name in. It's Freddie K and Meteor Comics. So I was like, so I was like, okay, we've definitely seen this guy before. I remembered. I I forgot that his voice actor kind of kind of does Fred from Scooby Doo a little bit. He kind of sounds like Hank Venture from the <laughs> Venture Brothers. Um, so Arthur got his first comic book. He paid for his first comic book at the age of six, and we see a lot of different uh, comic book brands in the Arthur universe here. I wanted to ask though. First of all, are you much of a comic reader, or have you been much of a comic reader in the past? I am not. Um, oh, okay. I read a lot of like kids' chapter books, like Magic Treehouse, things like that. <laughs> Classic. Um, but I, I never got into like hardcore comic books, unfortunately. So I really can't relate to this episode with like their fascination with comic books. I but see. Okay. I, I will I w- say Arthur looks mm. really cute as like a three-year-old. <laughs> He does. I love the little Arthur design because there is, I mean, of course, we've we've documented it on our social media before. There was that one time where they gave uh, little Arthur glasses, which doesn't make sense with the timeline of the show. But uh, yeah, he's very, very cute. I noticed that when he goes to buy the comic when he's six years old, he's kind of dressed like little Dave Reed. Like they've got very similar yes. outfits on. It's so cute. I'll just I'll just say here. So I was going to ask you about like what was your first comic that you would have bought, but maybe that's not as uh, core a memory. I don't even know if I even had ever a single comic book. <laughs> and there never really was like an Arthur comic or anything like that. Or like I'm trying I to think of. if there are any like PBS Kids 
shows that made it into comics. Not at the top of my head. I oh gosh, I don't know. I I I do remember I had like a manga book. It hmm. the brand was manga, but it was basically just like screenshots of the show of Maya and Miguel. Oh really? <laughs> um, the Maya and Miguel so manga? You, Whoa. I. I don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay. uh, Mine Miguel is not my expertise, but um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I had like, yeah, a book like that. Like they just basically took screenshots from the show. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. But yeah, as far as comic books, that's probably the closest I can think of for like a PBS comic. They did that with a lot of other kids' cartoons uh, back when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember having, like, there was the Pokemon manga, which was its own manga in Japan that they translated into English. And then they also had Pokemon comics, like you said, that were just screenshots of the show with slightly different dialogue. Okay. I never really, really liked those all that much. Yeah, it had, like, thought bubbles and, like, that yeah. kind of style added to and, it, I think. And the dialogue was different, and I'm just like, that's not what they said on the mm-hmm. show. So in the Arthur universe... DW is getting her own first comic book. So Arthur's first comic was a Ar- uh, Arachnid Ned, which you know, kind of similar to Spider-Man. I was going to say I think my first comic was a Spider-Man. I don't remember what it was, okay. but I was, you know, Spider-Man's my favorite comic book character, so I'm pretty sure it was either, it's either Spider-Man or Archie. I had a lot of Archie growing up, so it was probably one of those two. See, I'm familiar with all these names. I just never picked up a comic book myself. So, so I'll have to I'll have to fill in on comic books, but that's okay. We've got you for Arthur expertise. I'll have to try and uh, flex my comic book muscle here. Um, yes. DW Arthur guesses that she's going to pick up Mary Mucaf, which seems to be lo- the baby like version that. of Mary Mucaf. Well, right, and I remember it has it written on the screen. It's like almost comic book panel style in the cold open, and it said Mary Mucaf, and I was like. Did they did they forget what Mary Moo Cow was called? But then it's like, oh, it's Mary Moo Cow Baby, essentially. Yeah. Child version. <laughs> Even though and, Mary Moo Cow is already like a very much so a child show. <laughs> it, it it really seems like a young Sheldon type move of like, all right, we've right, gotten as far right. as we like Mary Moo Cow's been canceled. Let's try Mary Moo Calf and like really baby it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the other uh, titles that DW picks up, Arthur Arthur predicts she's only going to get Mary Moo Calf, but she also gets Ant Farm Annie, Pippi Poo the Puppy, Tummy Bunny's Hip Hoppy Happy Trails Tales, Baba Billy the Sheep Boy, which is my favorite title, and Witty Winnie Wilson. So a lot of alliteration in those titles. Yeah, there is actually like a. F- or I, I don't know about now, but, like, we just had free comic book day on Saturday. There's more, like, kid, like, little, little kid-focused comics than you might think. And some of these reminded me of, like, you know, there used to be, like, you could get Casper, you could get Richie Rich, uh, you could get Little Lulu, and, like, all of these uh, really cartoony adventures made for really younger kids. So this seemed pretty accurate to me. So Freddie K is a big part of this of this story because his cousin Gerald is taking over Meteor Comics. We're introduced to this as we get more uh, Arth- uh, comics in the Arthur universe. Uh, Buster's waiting for Bionic Buddy meets Interplanetary Platypus. Uh, Arthur is waiting for a special edition of Arachnid Ned, and Fern is saying that Dense Detective is getting kind of boring, which 
I found that very interesting. Of course, Fern, I think, has always been one of the more intelligent Arthur characters, but very interesting that now she's starting to understand that, like, oh, stories can be boring. Like, they can't keep doing this the whole time. It seems like Dent's detective, she's starting to figure out that, like, oh, he just always figures it out in the end. Just like, yep. That's uh, it's a hard lesson to learn when it turns out that like one of your favorite things is uh, all about preserving the status quo in the end. I also feel like Fern would be like a really heavy reader, and there's, I mean, yeah, I can't really say much about comics not knowing much, but you know, there's not a lot of like heavy narrative in a comic book, I would think. Um, well, and that's well, something and spe- that you, she you, would really gravitate towards, I think. Yeah, and especially at comics aimed at children, which is more of these. Right. There certainly can be, but yeah, we're, we're we would be talking going into graphic novels. It's right. I will admit that a lot of a lot of comic books. Whenever I read comic books now, I borrow them from my local library, and they have specific sections for like kids comics and adults comics. And you know, you read kids comics, which are a lot of like you know your Marvels and DCs and like a lot of the superhero stuff, and it really is just like ah. Uh, it's not as interesting to me anymore. And, you you know, you think that sometimes if you're interested in superheroes, then you're, you're always going to be interested in them no matter what. But there is a way that they can be presented to you that makes them interesting. And then there's a way for kids, which is like, well, it's more about the colors. It's about, about the action. It's about yeah. the lore of the universe, that sort of thing. So I, I don't think you're completely off base. Um, So Gerald, Freddie K, we've been introduced to in a previous episode. Um, Gerald is completely new as far as I know. He's Freddie K's cousin, and he seems to be... So Freddie K is like your ideal comic book store owner. Um, you know, the, the... He's very friendly. He's very, you know, he'll give you recommendations. He's good with kids. Like, it's a, like a great, great comic book store owner. Ned seems... Or sorry, not Ned. Gerald seems a lot more antisocial. In fact... I have a note here later that I, I want to follow a little bit, but a bit more antisocial, kind of airheaded, and as we see later, quite more slovenly. So true to life is what I'm saying. I, like, I, I've yeah. definitely seen more Geralds than Freddie K's, unfortunately, and I think that's kind of a negative stereotype among comic biz, comic store owners. Yeah, Gerald just doesn't seem very personable at all and completely opposite from Freddie K, unfortunately. And he's very, like, he has a very distinct voice, just like, like, he, he kind of is always surprised when people are in front of him, just like, whoa, where did you dudes come from? Or he's like, did you materialize from the primordial ooze? So, I think this dude could be the Arthur's first stoner. Like, there's no, there's no weed clouds, there's no, he's not vaping, he's not doing any of this, but like... The fact that he is so unaware of his surroundings, the fact that he's like chilled mm-hmm. to a fault, and yes. he has kind of the stereotypical stoner interests, I think this guy is puffing. I think you are correct. <laughs> no disagreements. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's real. I mean, they really make him sound very Californian with the way he talks, and it's just mm-hmm. like really. I don't think they could get away with a smoke cloud, especially back in 2010, but it's like, I'm imagining it really hard. So Gerald takes over for Freddie K. Freddie K's retiring and he introduces horror comics, like uh, more gory aimed at a teen or adult audience. Um, Some of these comics include fear of dread, psychotic maniac flesh eating panda, which I'm surprised they got away with saying that on PBS panic planet, 
Night Masters, and then I didn't even get all of this. Sushi Ami Uni Ogi? Like, that's not the whole name. He keeps going, and I felt like I was having a stroke. Like, I couldn't understand what he was literally saying. Yeah, some of the titles, it just seems like they... I, I really don't know what they were thinking, but <laughs> they tried to make some interesting titles, to say the least. Yeah, because, like, I'm used to, like, you know, you like EC Comics, and, like, Fear of Dread is funny. Of just, you know, there'd be older horror comics like Tales of Dread and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, that Sushi Ami Uni Ogi is supposed to be the name of, like, a manga, but it also just sounded like, like, gar- like gobbledygook. Like, it didn't sound like... Yeah. It sounded like they took Japanese-sounding words and then kind of put them together. Because that's being said Uh by, uh, you know, this alligator kid who has, like, headphones and a T-shirt. Kind of looks like a skinnier version of me. Like, we have the same same (laughs) skin uh, quality from when I was haunting comic book stores. Uh, But, yeah, I, I didn't... I felt very old. And speaking of old, Buster, like, at one point, um, Gerald has, like, have you seen the new, like, issue of this? It's sick. And Buster's like, does that mean good? And it's just like, Buster should ideally know that sick means cool. Felt I felt maybe that the show was showing its yeah, age that, a little bit a there, little where it's like... Out of, out of place. Because definitely kids Buster's age nowadays are saying, like, you know, based or... Let's go or poggers and stuff <laughs> right, like that. Like right. they are the ones on the ground floor. It would be somebody like Gerald who'd be like, it's like, what does that mean? You know? But also going back to the Gerald is a stoner theory. He probably knows uh, <laughs> as much about that as well. I must also say, so they eventually find a horror comic called Grotesquely Grim Bunny. Fern and Buster are immediately attracted to it. Fern thinks that it's very interesting, and she, you know, she likes the grim and dark kind of stuff. Buster likes that there's aliens in it. Arthur sees a page of like a three-headed dragon, and he's so frightened by it. That he hallucinates a little bit, and the the dragon is like, it's like, come on in, Arthur. It reminded me. Did you watch much Homestar Runner back in the day? No, I did not. Oh, it's uh, there's a, there's a there's a background character that they refer to as the Ghiblies, and it just reminded me of that. It's like a painting of a gargoyle that they keep in a closet. It's just like, come on in here. And that <laughs> reminded me a lot of that. So Arthur... I mean, I yeah. I will say, like, just the design of the this character is... I mean, if I was watching this as, like, a four-year-old, I, I would be pretty creeped out with the red eyes and the, yeah. it, it, the hood on his head. It just kind of looks creepy. So... I, I empathize with Arthur, um, but yeah, I, I did like um, uh, Buster was just lured in by the aliens, and that's all he was interested in. Of course. Very, very true to character. Like, yeah, yes. to your point, like there's a couple of things in here that I'm a little surprised they got away with. I mentioned about like psychotic maniac flesh-eating panda. Some of these things are a little distressing, so you have to make it be distressing enough that you can understand why Arthur's scared of it. But you also ideally don't want to scare the the apparently the, the two year olds who could be watching Arthur. You started quite a bit earlier than I did. I was already six when Arthur began. So, uh, yeah, definitely don't want to uh, ward off the really young kids watching the show. So Arthur, terrified of these new comics, um, <laughs> when Fern is recounting it at the cafeteria, Arthur is imagining 
it as she's spinning the tail, and he just goes, no! And Buster said, are you okay? You just shouted no. Um, I wanted to ask, what was your first encounter with horror? Now, whether or not you are a fan of horror movies or horror media, I think we all have you know, a story of the first time you saw something that you probably weren't supposed to in terms of something really scary. And usually that ends up forming like a really valuable chunk of childhood trauma that we all have. And I wonder if you can think of the thing that you saw first that really made you very scared. I, I don't really know. Um, I'm not like a huge fan of like scary stuff, although Mm -hmm. I do like that the idea of it um Mm -hmm. i think this was actually brought up on the podcast before um i remember the first like scary (laughs) movie i watched was signs oh what lucas was also um kind Mm -hmm. of pointing towards for himself too um although i i really don't think that's very like horror or scary it's more just kind of i don't know I mean, maybe at my age, I was thinking it was scary. <laughs> I think it's close enough. There's some stuff in there that's pretty intense for younger kids. That would have come out when I was like 11, and it was still like, you know, the 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 language of horror is used in that movie, even though it's not like a you know a gruesome or gory movie. Um, right, right. I don't know if this is contradicting a previous answer that I had, but the one that sticks out for me is um, uh, the movie Child's Play. When I found out that like Chucky existed, the and this was like back in oh. you know back when video stores had VHS covers and you could just look through them all finding child's play and then mm. discovering that there's like a movie about a doll an evil doll was very terrifying yeah. to me. And the promotional yeah, stills for the concept. movie yeah it the promotional stills made it look very like you know you're you're before you have an understanding of what visual effects look like or like when something doesn't look as good as it does in your imagination i was building this up mm-hmm. to be like this is the scariest movie that's ever been made and then eventually you're old enough to see child's play and you realize eh, it's kind of goofy but arthur and very scared of this in fact so they do a thing where they were each going to buy their own comics but instead they all go in on buying the issue one of Grotesquely Grin Bunny because it is a bit more expensive than their comics that they usually get. So Fern reads it, she gives it to Buster, and then Buster gives it to Arthur. And Arthur, so terrified is he of this that he opens the first page in bed and immediately, like, physically recoils. Like, he throws it up into the ceiling and decides he can't even bear to look at it. So I'm wondering why Arthur even agreed to like go in on this like a three like split to get this comic because like if he's so scared of it did he just want to like prove himself to his friends that he could you know read the scary comic or what was his thinking there i i don't know lest we forget peeves the power of peer pressure Arthur didn't um, want yeah. Arthur. I, I think you've got it straight in the head. Arthur didn't want to. He didn't want to back down. He didn't want to be seen as a baby. Yeah, Arthur, he can't even look at the first page. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, I, guy. I'm sure we've all had that before, but it's just like, man, it's I, I can't believe it's that bad. So Arthur tucks it away in a shoebox so that he doesn't even have to look at it until he gives it back. 
And then he has this extended nightmare where he's in the world of grotesquely grim bunny. And so is everybody else. Like, Brain's there, Binky, Fern, Buster. But everybody's cool with it. Everybody is just intensely cool with, like, the various monsters. Um, There's, like, the... I, I didn't copy down the name, but if there's, like, a creepy, burrowing something or other... Gosh, I should. I thought. I thought I wrote it down, and I did not. There's. Oh yeah, I forget what it is. There's a lot of proper nouns, but it's like you know. There's a creepy burrowing monster. There's a three-headed dragon, and eventually he meets grotesquely grim bunny. I was kind of thinking before we watched this episode that I thought this was going to be like a version of Bionic or Dark Bunny. I thought this was actually going to be about like Arthur's, like Arthur's first R-rated movie kind of thing, where it's like the grotesquely grim bunny is like the Punisher of bunnies or something. But no, it actually turns out that he's like this. Re- um, he's a lot more. His shape is far different. I think the design is a little similar here and there, but it's a lot more figurative. He's almost looks like an ink blot at times, and he just has a very like evil creepy face on him and everyone in the Arthur's dream is surprised that he's afraid they keep negging him for being afraid and he's just yeah, like what like, no why one aren't you... else is afraid at all which is <laughs> I mean I'm sure that goes back to just Arthur like doesn't want to be a baby of course yeah it's his insecurities made manifest it's that and I think it's true to like nightmare logic as well it's like every, whenever something is not right in the nightmare the thing that makes it worse is that everybody around you is totally cool with it. So yes. it's just funny to see it's so literal because he will literally say, like, aren't you scared? And they'll just say, no, <laughs> and just have fun. So in the middle of the night and unbeknownst to Arthur, Pal, who is very defensive, he's a very good boy, but yes. not I mean, not for this, but his intentions are good. He destroys the comic book to protect Arthur. He like shreds it. And so Arthur is caught as he gives the comic to Binky, who's been waiting for it, uh, the comic was shredded, and Arthur tries to recount the plot to Binky, but then he has to admit that he didn't actually read it. And this causes Buster to admit that he didn't actually read it. Now, this... So the plot of this one kind of takes a turn, and I I don't yeah. mean that to say, like, when when you say that something takes a turn, it's just like, then it goes into a place you didn't expect. It's like, that's true, but it goes into a place I didn't expect because kind of nothing happens. So what I mean by that is we have Arthur, like Arthur and Buster admit they didn't read the comic. So then they determine that they need to get rid of Gerald as the owner of Meteor Comics so that he'll stop selling that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that is a choice it wasn't where i thought they were going but that doesn't that didn't mean it was bad i was just like okay like where are we going from here i mean i get that they like the entire comic book store like turned to this horror theme so yeah. i kind of understand that like they don't like where gerald is taking this store in what the direction he's taking it yeah but i I agree. Like it, it just kind of comes out of left field. Like what? And then they stage a protest outside, and it's just kind of like, where did all this come from? And even the protest is very like in their chant. They're just like, it's like Gerald is nice, but we want Freddie back. It's not even like, 
It w- I guess it would be different if Gerald was like way meaner to them, but he's not. He kind of doesn't even really know they exist. It's it's just that he's not Freddy. He's not as nice as Freddy. He's yeah. just kind of and he's brought in this new. It seems pretty successful because we see people like older teens, like teens in the comic store buying this new stuff. So it doesn't seem like he's like tanking the business or anything. It's just not mm-hmm. what Arthur and his friends want. So yeah, they have this protest. And Freddie K stops by, and I was like, okay, so what's his response to this? His response is that he just takes the comic book store back. Yeah. And, and that's it? <laughs> yes, that is it. <laughs> it's literally it. And this, I, like, we're running into the end of the episode. So Freddie K comes back, and the compromise, which is like, I don't know why he didn't already do this so he keeps the comics that gerald likes but they're behind like a curtain and they're called creepy stuff it's yeah, like okay i mean section creepy yeah, section which like every, yeah every comic book store has a horror section whether or like, not it's didn't section- they have that before <laughs> yeah right like he wasn't he couldn't have just entirely been selling to kids especially in 2010 like comic book stores like as i said kids and young people are a lucrative audience but the main audience of comic book stores at the time would have been teens and older, usually men, but, you know, people right. in the 18 to 34 demographic. And, and and then we end off the episode with this weird, like, non sequitur where we imagine, like, there's this hooded figure sitting on a throne on a black cloak. And then Arthur takes it off. He's just like, don't worry. It's just me, Arthur Timothy Reed. Hope I didn't scare you. Hope I didn't scare you. And that's the episode. And I was like, what happened? Where was, where's the rest of it? Like, I don't. I mean, I just wrote the question, what exactly is the moral to this episode? Because the whole, like, like at first it seems like it's like about Arthur's fear and trying to like, Mm -hmm. you know, pump himself up. But then it's like, they have to stage a protest against how their favorite comic book store is operating. And then he doesn't want you to be scared by him at the end. (laughs) It's just very scattered. Yeah. And it seems like you're right. It's, I thought that it was going to lead up to Arthur facing his fear and finding something he likes about the comic. Yeah. And because it seemed to be like everybody liked the comic except Arthur. And I thought, well, they're either going to say that like Arthur doesn't like it but he read it all and he knows he doesn't like it or he reads it and he finds something that he does like about it that uh, maybe other people don't. Then it was like, okay, Buster admitted that Arthur and he didn't read it. So then it's like, is it going to be like, it's okay. You don't have to read stuff that makes you scared. And then it goes into like, yeah, them protesting to get the comic store back, which now that I think about it, Kind of at odds with an episode like the Scarier Pants Off Club, where mm. Arthur, mm-hmm. where those those books were apparently very upsetting, and the kids petitioned to not have those books removed. So it seems almost at odds right. with previously established canon, which is strange because, as Lucas and I have noted, the past couple of seasons they've been really good about keeping attention to canon. Even the in the last ECL episode, we get the return of Toadie. And this just seems like right. directly at odds with some, with an episode they already did. Yeah, one thing I usually like to do is look who the writer is. And this mm-hmm. was written by David Stephen Cohen. Okay. And I looked up some of his other um, episodes that he wrote. 
it's very uh, short list. Um, so okay. maybe he just wasn't like in tune with, you know, what has happened in the past on the show, or mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. But yeah, I just completely agree. It just seems like the plot just took a completely different turn than what I was expecting, and it, yeah didn't end well <laughs> no we'll get into our long form feelings about it closer to the end of the episode uh and now a word from us kids and now, word from kids. they're just doing a little project where they talk about their fears and they make self-portraits and there's like a part where they uncover their self-portraits and it has their fear under it so yeah there's like three different instances of rats which understandable there's flying cockroaches thunder and deep water uh so not to reveal a lot of these are legit fears i mean yeah of them seem very you know crazy or anything yeah nobody says like cucumbers or something uh (laughs) not to not to give away your power level here but like what would be a fear that you would put under in in that situation oh spiders i don't put me anywhere near a spider please Fair enough. My uh, my wife is also not a fan of spiders. I would probably say sharks. Uh, I respect I respect sharks. I do not want them to be. You know, I don't want any violence visited upon them. But uh, like, I, I really resonated with deep water, and not so much that I can't touch the bottom. It's just that I know that there are some creatures that live in deep water that uh, yes. that. Uh, that uh, exist in the dark and are very scary looking so i'm just gonna stay away from deep water i will i will also say um one of the kids drawing of a rat had like at least 10 feet 10 legs (laughs) which kind of freaked me out (laughs) but interesting drawing yeah it might have been the imagination that maybe made the rat appear more footsome than uh, it is in real life Uh, yes we're gonna get into the second part of this arthur episode right after this Hey, it's Jason Schwimmer, and I'm from the Finding DW podcast. You can support this podcast by following on Facebook, there at Elwood City Limits, Twitter at ECL Podcast, Tumblr, Elwood City Limits, IG, as the kids say, Elwood City Limits. If you want to send them an email, drop them a line at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. This podcast, the one you're listening to now, is available on iTunes on Spotify, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, and on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you want that extra sweet, sweet content, check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Elwood City Limits. How'd I do? Uh, Not directly speaking of rats, but speaking of animals, Pet Projects is the name of this one. Arthur's talking about the home movies that he made and the thing is is that none of them are especially great it's basically times arthur touched a video camera in his short life there's when he was using the video camera as a baby there is a movie he made called rock which is just a shot of a rock which apparently he was a mistake didn't mean to make that one and he tried to make a science fiction movie with pal as the monster but he wasn't very cooperative my question is in the film where arthur is a baby what what is the deal with that house that they're in? Yeah, it almost looks like the same room that he's like giving this little intro in, which yeah. doesn't make much sense at all. 
Like, it's, I don't know if they just used the wrong background art or what happened, but that is definitely not the Reed house. No. And yeah, so Arthur is almost, you know, he's in like a smoking jacket. It looks like Masterpiece Theater or something. Mm-hmm. But I, but for a second, I was like, is this like the first Reed home or something? But you're right. It does have like the same wallpaper. So it could have most likely an error. But I just wanted to make sure I bring that up in case there's like evidence of like the first Reed house or like the Reed yeah. apartment or something before DW was born. Ooh, that would be interesting to know. They actually lived somewhere else before. I mean, it's happened. My Before before my family lived in their house, they lived in like a basement, uh, like duplex kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you, you never know. Common. So Arthur, the matter of this episode is that Arthur enters a contest to make a movie about Pal to be featured on a TV show. The TV show is called The Perfect Pet, and it's starring a celebrity in the Arthur world named Capri DeVapida. Capri DeVapida. And her dog, Pixel. What a character. Yeah, in case you couldn't tell by the last name having Vapid in the name, which, shout out to the the Arthur episode that I learned the word Vapid from. Um, Yes. This is our chance to make dumb celebrity jokes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yay. It's, you know, it's just, you know, she can't read the cue cards. She has trouble reading them. And it's just like, I, I just can't believe it's taken 14 seasons to get here. Have a, you know, a lame celebrity like this. (laughs) Yeah, she's, I mean, I think the idea is that she's like a Paris Hilton type, let's say, who would, who would have still been relevant for, you know, this, the, the, what the heck was the name of her show? Uh, I almost said The Surreal Life, but it was uh, the the reality show she did with Nicole Richie. Yeah, I can't think of it. That's okay. I don't know if anybody can. <laughs> I'm sh- I, the No, The Sweet Life was Zach and Cody. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very rare that Arthur does this kind of humor, and it just didn't work for me. I think it's just the, fel- the fact that I think this humor is kind of kind of old and a little hacky, so... Unfortunately, yeah, um, she does show up yeah. a few more times, <laughs> and the joke never improves. Uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make note of her here because they use her a couple more times, as you said. So Arthur gets this big idea. He wants to make a movie about Pal. He imagines his film at a big red carpet premiere. It's called Slumdog and the Millionaire, which is not the last uh, gag film title that we'll get in this episode. Right. And Pal looks stunning. In he, his yeah, he's role. got the he's got those shades on, and he and the limo had the little doggy door for him to get out. Some very nice mm-hmm. touches. Yes. So no, but he does. That's not what he decides to call his movie, though. Arthur decides to roll with the title "Dogs Day and Afternoon," which is a play on Dog Day Afternoon, the mm-hmm. Al Pacino movie, Slumdog and the Millionaire. Of course, barely a joke. Slumdog Millionaire. That's the movie. <laughs> so he uses Buster as the camera operator. But Pal, Pal is a less than ideal subject on the day that he wants to film. Um, you know, Buster comes over and Arthur is like, oh, don't worry. It'll be great. I promise. And Buster starts filming Pal. He's asleep under a table. And Buster says, I've only been here 10 minutes and you've already broken your promise. <laughs> and he, he even later says, even rock was better than this. And Pal is just, he's sleepy. He's very sleepy. So they decide to take him to the park to kind of jazz him up a little bit. This episode is amazing 
for cute pal footage. Yes. We ju- like we just had the episode where it's like pal is talking and they're doing all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, ugh. But this episode, it's just pal being a cute dog for pal the most part. Pal is adorably cute throughout yes. this whole thing. And I feel like we forget that because a lot of times when we see pal in Arthur around season 14, he's either part of his own episode, which he's marginally less cute because he has that awful British voice. And... And but and then we barely see him outside of that. And now this is just Pal being a dog, which uh, I'm uploading the old episodes on YouTube. I was taken with Pal from the moment that he stepped on the show, and I'm so happy that he just gets to be a puppy again. It's it's the best. So they take him to the park. They get a little bit of footage of him, but it turns out that Francine and Muffy are also creating a competing video about Nemo, who seems to be a little bit more of an interesting subject. Uh, their film is called Filming Nemo, taken off of Finding Nemo, of course. Yep. And he is a little bit better at getting the action shots. In fact, there's one of him rolling down the street on a skateboard, to which Buster says, whoa, when did Nemo learn how to ride a skateboard? I mean, that's pretty impressive, really. <laughs> uh, when Buster discovers TikTok, it's going to it's gonna go crazy. He's going to oh, see that no. vi- He's going to see that vine of the dog on the scooter, and it's going to break his brain. <laughs> <laughs> so this is part of the entry, that the, that the animal has to do something interesting. But Pal is actually better than Nemo at being naturally cute. They decide to just take some B-roll of Pal rolling around, showing his tummy, just doing all that cute stuff. It comes naturally to him. This little I, whimper, and he's just yeah. so cute. I did notice there was a couple of drawings in that in the scene, especially where they're like, "Hey, Pal can be cute." Some of the drawings of Pal had like this weird squiggle on them. Yeah, it looked a little little off model, but yeah, still cute. <laughs> yes, it, uh, thankfully so. There were a couple of off model drawings in this one, but uh, you know, Pal is so inherently adorable that it managed to be okay. So Francine and Muffy step it up, and they really doll Nemo up. In fact, they put him in like a a pink bonnet and um, just really try to cutesify him, which apparently works. And which, then that bonnet is actually interesting because um, the doll that Muffy gets it from is, I think they're called pioneer, oh, pioneer is, dolls or something. Is it the and American girl dolls? No, they actually show up later in season 15, which is kind of interesting because like 14 and 15 were produced like all together. So I guess maybe this got aired out of order or something like that. Um, But yeah, that's where that that doll bonnet comes from. See, I tried to school you and then you schooled me back. See, this is you're you're an invaluable resource. So. They're getting they're getting uh, beaten in these two categories. Buster decides to step it up a little bit, and he decides to just Im- he's using a new editing program. Which to me, it was like I think he just discovered Windows Movie Maker is, is what much. it is, yeah. and he puts in some effects to spice up Pal's film. So it's like he's jumping through fire. They Photoshop him into like a realistic la- uh, cityscape. Uh, they put him in a jetpack. It's just like you know. I also went crazy with the effects when I did my first couple of movie oh, maker of projects. Of course, you have to. But I will say, just because you can add special effects does not mean you should add special effects. Absolutely. And y- you come to realize eventually that it's a bit much. Some, like, yes. You know, some of my movie maker projects, and I was older than Buster. I was like 18 when I discovered it. I'm just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tilt the image. I'm going to use the, the, the filter that goes from green to purple. I'm going to like... <laughs> 
like I'm gonna tip it on its side, and it's just like it's too much. It's too much. It's like in the '90s when you have on-screen text. Oh, let's put a shadow beneath these text mm-hmm. and words. When you first, when you do your first PowerPoint in school, and you realize <laughs> I can announce that the text can come on screen with a drum roll, or it can like mo- like circle around. Like you can do so many things. It's so amazing. You just have to do it. It's a lot. It's a lot of power. Or um, I know a lot of people like to point out like the Spider-Man movie maker. Like there's a lot of, you know, just because you can have five kingpins on screen doesn't mean that you have to. So while this is going on, we do get a little bit of Pal and Nemo talking in their human voices and they don't appreciate it. They don't feel like they're being misrepresented by these films. Nemo hates the fact that he had to wear a bonnet and Pal just isn't isn't really having fun doing this either so they meet up in secret in the in the middle of the night pal does uh, nemo calls it like the emergency animal call or something that can only be interesting used. because i one of the things i don't really like about some of the pal and kate episodes is when like the the dog and baby aspect of things doesn't really tie into like the main cast storyline yeah and this kind of actually does because they're you know part of their movies and uh, you know they're not acting acting the way they should be and all that right but i i think that's one thing i kind of appreciated about that um that cat call or whatever he did um did um you know actually kind of tied that in in that way that's a good point uh i, I think i would have said the same thing and that's probably why i liked the first Kate and Pal story so much is because it was tied in with what everybody else was doing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, fair enough there. So what they do is they decide to sabotage the films. Pal, Pal thinks that they can eat the cameras. But <laughs> instead, Nemo just suggests that they act very, essentially, I say standoffish. Like, he's just like, let's act like evil. But really, they're just acting like jerks. And yeah, just giving a lot of attitude. Yeah. And, and Nemo, I mean... You don't need any re- you don't need any reason for that performance. Cats are just jerks whenever they want to be, like for right. no good reason. Pal, Pal, it's at least like a, a marked change in his mood, and he's normally yes. very friendly and all that. But Nemo can just I don't know. I feel like Nemo can just do whatever he wants. It's like, yep, that's cats for you. Um, it's very out of character to see Pal acting like this, like giving giving Arthur the the rear in the face treatment yes yeah exactly so arthur and francine they managed to see this for what it is and they call off the contest because they'd rather their pets be happy than they be named the perfect pet but the episode ends up with buster winning for the this is a reference i didn't expect the the he ends up winning and going on the perfect pet for a movie that he edited called Paws of Darkness, the making of filming Nemo and Dog's Day and Afternoon, which is a reference to Hearts of Darkness, which is the documentary for the movie Apocalypse Now, which Apocalypse Now, I love the movie. I think it's great. Hearts of Darkness, also a great movie because it's about how everything was falling apart to get that movie made. So I just really, really liked this reference. (laughs) And then in the end, Buster gets on the show, and all that he won was an autographed picture of Capri DeVapita and Pixel. What a great prize. I Also, I'm trying to figure out, like, wasn't Buster, like, part of Arthur's project? Like, they were filming <laughs> it together, so why, like, <laughs> did Buster, like, also enter in on Arthur's ticket? <laughs> Just kind of 
again, seems kind of weird. I don't know. It must have been like a separate entry. Like he decided to make the most of all of the B-roll that he shot and just compiled a completely different project and then collaborated with Muffy and Francine. Because at the end of the episode, like Muffy, Francine and Arthur are watching the show and they're cheering for Buster. Like at first I thought it was going to be like, oh, Buster went behind their backs and made this. But it seems that they all entered into it uh, willingly. And uh, Nemo and Pal get treats and all is right with the world. Nemo gets catnip. Arthur just picks up like a like he just palms a steak that is on the table and offers it to Pal with his bare hand. Which, first of all, that's a big cut of steak steak for such a little dog. Yeah, that he just has food. sitting on the end table in the living room. He, he, <laughs> ew, he just you he just picks it up with his hand like oh like but I, Pal looks very pleased he, to have yeah, that <laughs> absolutely i'd be pleased too but like <laughs> i'm also gonna use a fork to pick it up you know or like put it in his dish or something <laughs> i don't know that just really squicked me out i didn't like it all right so now's the time in the episode where we go back to the whole of what we just watched and we give our thoughts so peebs we kind of tipped our hat towards this at the end because we were just so stunned i guess with how it turned out but tales of grotesquely grim bunny what did you think of this one it's an okay episode it's just not Mm. very good but it's not terrible right um i i i like that they used fern because Mm -hmm. um the trio fern buster and arthur is kind of not used very often actually seems like um and her you know, kind of fascination with scary story, scary stories does go back to like um, past episodes, like Frankenstein's monster when she made that really scary story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it does kind of uh, relate back to some previous episodes, which I do appreciate. But the ending just is not good at all. I don't think <laughs> um, it's just so abrupt. It just. Ugh, didn't rub me the right way. Um, I, I think, you know, Arthur's, you know, obviously afraid of this comic book. And I think it's kind of true to life when, you know, you're scared of something. You don't want to let your friends know. You don't want your friends to think, you know, you can't handle this. Um, so I like that it stayed true to life in that way. But I don't know. The, the whole situation with the comic book store just kind of ruined it for me, I think. I agree with you. The ending really messed this up for me. And I think that, you know, I wasn't so invested in the whole, like, Arthur is afraid of this. Because, like, really, Arthur's afraid of a lot of stuff. It's kind of well-worn territory at this point. Um, but I was interested to see, like, what... I guess the message would be we've said before that Arthur episodes don't have to have a moral or a message, but it seemed like this is what it was aiming for. And then it almost looked like like a completely different ending to everything just happened. And it was like, Oh, okay. I guess that's where we were going. It didn't seem like properly foreshadowed to that, you know, Gerald was enough of a problem that we had to get rid of him. But I guess we just couldn't get rid of beloved character, Freddie K like, Freddie K's cool and all, but he's only been seen like one or two other times before this. You know, it's not like we would be like baying for him to come back. I I liked parts of this. I as a comic book fan myself, I liked the inclusion of comic books in this episode. I I really liked how 
Uh, they represented the interaction of young people in a comic book store. I thought that both of the versions of the comic book store were very accurate. So I imagine they were like drawing on experience that they've had. The writer for this episode probably has experience being in comic book stores um, because it all felt very accurate. And I really appreciated that. I thought that the grotesquely grim bunny segments were imaginative. And like I said, I'm surprised they got away with some of the imagery that they did. Um, but yeah, it just wraps up in a really strange and unnatural way that it kind of just, and then, and then it has that really strange tag that just it, with Arthur in the cloak where it's, it just reminds you it, it feels almost like rushed. Like they didn't yeah. have enough time to do this or something. I don't know. I think one thing I, I, I would kind of say that helps the episode um, it, kind of gave me like just creepy vibes in general mm, and mm. um like I, like i said before i have the entire schedule of arthur back to 96 and pbs plays this episode like pretty much every october around oh. uh, halloween so i don't know if they just wanted to like write a creepy scary episode <laughs> um for that purpose i don't know maybe but I think that's another strength that just kind of had creepy vibes. Art, the the whole Arthur's dream was very, um, just had that scary feeling to it. So mm. I get why they air it around Halloween. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, really, really good choice for that. Um, as for pet projects, this is some good old fashioned Arthur fluff. Like this is. This is not, you know, it's not pushing a moral. It's not really saying anything. We're not advancing any characters or doing anything super duper important. But you know what? It's fine for what it is. There's a lot of these stories that I end up on where it's like, I don't like it. I don't hate it. It's fine. And it's fun enough. And like I said, it was completely worth it for all of the pal footage as we both kind of gushed over. It's very cute. Some of the some of the ideas were funny, like all of the different film titles were were funny. Um I, I, I felt that they even like the usage of Nemo and Pal in their English in their English speaking voices. I like I didn't mind it so much. It's it's weird to see it outside of its setting now. Like I'm so used to that being just confined to those specific episodes the ones where it's just them and Kate and Toadie and whoever. So to see it outside of its normal setting is a little strange, but I you know, I'm willing to go with it if you want to keep the the story going such as it is. You can dip into that a little bit. You have that freedom to do that. And of course, I think I didn't mention this, but you know, Nemo's voice actor I think really does a re- very good job. I always like hearing uh always. from him. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I just, you know, I'm fine with this. It certainly didn't, you know, not stick the landing or anything. I thought it just did just fine. I thought it was cute and yeah, good enough. For me, I, it's a cute episode, but I, I really didn't really care for it. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, like I was saying before, I like when the Pal and Kate episodes tie into the, the main cast storyline. So that, yeah, was, you know, part of this episode. So, um, I did like that, um, but I think the whole making a movie just seems like an overused trope. And it's mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. like there. I mean, season one or two, they had the episode Arthur makes a movie, so they've already done that. Like even back to season one or two. Um, I don't know if it was just the writers trying to like stay relevant with, you know with how 
prevalent like video video content video editing is in this day and age um you know kids are making video stuff all the time now um, yeah yeah so i don't know if it, that was part of you know going into this episode how they wrote it things like that um i don't know um i will also say um kind of back in my little intro, I was saying how I kind of drifted away from Arthur around actually this time, 2010, mm. I was in high school and I, I mean, I remember watching this episode back then, but I really don't have like any nostalgic feelings towards it at all. Um, so I don't know if that kind of influences my overall right. feel um, to this, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't really care for it. I mean, it's not a bad episode by any means. Um, of course, Pal's cute, but that can't make uh, an episode great. No, unfortunately not. Uh, it's a part of what makes an episode great, but you got to have other parts to it as well. Um, yeah, to your point, I mean, it's funny thinking about it because in 2010, the kids, and this was obviously written before 2010, they're using video cameras to make films, whereas not five years later, they just be using their cameras. They're go. I'm sure they're going to be using their cameras. So it's already a little bit outdated, especially watching it today. But it wouldn't be long before it's just like kids don't use video cameras anymore, unless they're yeah. serious about like filmmaking or making films and like editing and all that kind of stuff. That you know, you just make them on your phone. And honestly, like depending on the phone, it could be better than some of these video cameras that you can get your that's hands very on. True. Well, that's the end of another episode of Elwood City Limits and Peebs. I'm super, super glad that you could join this for join me for this. Um, your your Arthur expertise was on display, and as was your uh, your your thoughts and opinions, which I think uh, I've I you know I really valued getting to hear from you and getting to kind of just shoot the breeze about an episode of Arthur because I feel like. You know, I, whenever I talk to you, uh, or a lot of times when I talk to you, it's a very official context of like, hey, what's what's the latest news on Arthur? Like, what's going on? So it's nice to kind of, uh, g- yeah, get to know you in the sense of like just watching an episode of Arthur together, such as it is. So I'd just love for you to be able to tell everybody where they can find you online and uh, how they can keep up with you. Well, I probably should should have said this earlier, but um, although I am known as Peebs, I am not Peanut Butter Gamer, who also goes by Peebs. Right. Unfortunately, <laughs> we both have a common interest of Arthur. Um, <laughs> I spell it with three E's, so that's I-T-S-P-E-E-E-B-S on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then, of course, on YouTube as well, so you can find me there. Yeah, and you're like you said, you're uploading a lot of um, PBS station IDs, advertisements, uh like sh- like show advertisements it's a really like it's a, you can get lost in there like i got yes i, got I really s- do need to do some organizational uh <laughs> playlists in I'm, I, well and i mean that i mean that in the way of like n- not not to not against your layout it's just like wow like i could keep you could just keep going down that for hours you could, it's one of those mm-hmm. youtube channels where you can just lose hours into you have it because to be careful yeah <laughs> if you're exactly into that sort of thing yeah and i'm sure as the curator of it absolutely yes i'll try i'll try to make it as clear as possible that you're not peanut butter gamer because of course peanut butter gamer one of the uh, one of the internet's uh uh most well-known Arthur fan, so I'm sure you get no end of like mistaken Twitter tags and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I I intentionally made my handle like with three E's, just on the off chance someone else went by Peeps <laughs> online. So I really don't know who who came up with it first, if it was he or I. But 
that's how it ended up. <laughs> and I, and I always put right. I always put those three E's in because that's yes. that's that's your darn name. Well, peeps. I'm really glad that we got to do this. Thanks so much for being on the show. And, I mean, you being a patron of Elwood City Limits, you're probably going to hear from me sooner rather than later with some of our new Patreon content at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. But I also really get this opportunity. Thank you so much for being a patron. Uh, Really appreciate it, as we do all of our patrons. But it's very rare I get to thank them, like look them in the eye over Skype and be like, thank you for uh, supporting us. And thank you for being supportive of us in just your continued efforts with the Arthur Wiki, with your Twitter, and with your general expertise about Arthur and PBS Kids. I think uh, the Arthur community is better having you in it. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. I mean, I have to attribute some of my, uh, you know, I want to say success to even uh, being where I am in the Arthur community thanks to this podcast. So, uh, thank you to you as well. Happy to spread the love. Next time on Elwood City Limits, uh, we are going to be looking at Follow the Bouncing Ball and Buster Baxter and the Letter from the Sea. So, as always, interesting titles. I have no idea what it's all about, but we're gonna we're gonna find out. All Follow right, that... the Bouncing Ball actually Ooh. ties into the rest of the season, so pay attention. Okay. All right. I'm gonna make sure. Kind to of take... a pivotal episode, actually. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So, Luke is coming back very soon on the show, fear not. Uh, but until then, that's Elwood City Limits. My name's Will Young, and for peebs... Oh, I always forget about this. Uh... <laughs> it's okay, like, every everybody... Even Lucas forgets about it sometimes, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, enjoy your day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll see you next time.